When it comes to theology and God's word, we, we learn a lot of big words as we study at seminary, as we uh, learn about God's word and we read God's word. Uh, and that's a, a lot of big words, a lot of words that we just we don't use in everyday language. Uh, one of the words we saw in, in Romans was justified. God who justifies. Uh, we heard it, we use it, uh, but we don't always know what it means. To, to be justified means to be declared not guilty. God declares you not guilty uh, because of Jesus. Another big word that we learn is propitiation. Big word that means uh, to appease. And so when we're talking about God, Jesus is the sacrifice of propitiation. He's a sacrifice that appeased God's uh, anger for you and me. Another word that we learn is exegesis. Uh, it's this, when, when we're studying Scripture, we draw out. Exegesis means to draw out of Scripture. And we talk about exegizing a text when we're starting to study for a sermon. You look at it and you draw out the truths from, from Scripture. These are big words that we just we don't use in everyday language. And so when we hear them and we look it up, they kind of stick with us for a little bit and, and we're kind of awed by them because we don't, we don't use them. Today, we talk about a word that all Christians know, all Christians love. It's a word that is extremely beautiful. It's a word that uh, is so comforting to all Christians. And that word is grace. It's a word that we know. It's a word that we love. And yet, grace is a word that we use so much that we kind of lose the awe factor in it all. It's, it becomes just a word that flows off of our tongue and it doesn't really impact us anymore. And yet, this is a word that we want to know and we want to love because, like I said, it is so comforting. Uh, it is so incredible because it is by grace, God's undeserved love that we are saved. And so for the next three weeks, we are going to look at how grace is greater and we are going to look at different facets of grace. Today, we, we turn our attention to John chapter 4, one of those four biographies of Jesus, uh, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. John chapter 4 uh, we're going to pick up at verse 4, but verses 1 through 3, Jesus uh, is down in Judea, and he's down in Judea, and his disciples are baptizing. John the Baptist's disciples are, are baptizing, and there's beginning to be competition between the two, and Jesus says, this isn't good. We're going back up to the headquarters in Galilee, because uh, that's where Jesus' ministry headquarters were, in Capernaum. Uh, and so he's going back up there. And here is what we're told. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Just a note, this is, I, I think, very, a very interesting word. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. There, what do we see? We see Jesus being true God, who has all power, all control, who can't get tired, and yet at the same time true man, who because he lived as a man, was a man, he was able to get tired. 
God got tired. Incredible. Uh, but Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down at the well. Let's take a look at the map here. It's in your worship folder, but it's pretty small. Uh, but here is the map of Israel, uh, or the Middle East here. And this at one time was all owned by the, king, by the kingdom of Israel. Uh, this was known as uh, the Holy Land, the land of Canaan, uh, the kingdom of Israel, King David, Solomon, 1000 BC. Uh, they owned all of that territory. And here we've got Judea, we've got Galilee. These are the territories that the Jews during Jesus' time lived in. The Samaritans lived in Samaria, which split the Jews in half. The Jewish people and the Samaritans didn't like each other. Uh, In fact, that's probably an understatement, didn't like each other. It was more like hatred. Uh, The Samaritans, at one point, were Jewish people uh, who married outside of the Jewish race, outside of the Jewish religion. And when they did that, their spouses introduced false gods into their households. And so the Samaritans worshipped the true God, but also many false gods. And so the Jewish people looked down on the Samaritans because they betrayed God. The Samaritans hated the Jews because they were so arrogant and prideful as they looked down on the Samaritans thinking they were better than them. To the point, they hated each other to the point that the Jewish person going from Judea to Galilee would go out east of the Jordan River, north, and then cross back over into Galilee just so they didn't have to go through Samaria. Just so they didn't have to see one of those dirty Samaritans. They completely avoided them. But what are we told? Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Well, It wasn't because there was first century road construction and he couldn't get out east. Uh, That wasn't the case. He had to go through Samaria because he had a divine appointment to keep. He had on his calendar an appointment that he needed to be at at noon at the well. And so he goes through Samaria and he gets to this town called Sychar right there. He sits at the well outside of town. And here's what happened. A Samaritan, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So I picture Jesus here sitting down at the well just outside of Sychar. And he's sitting there. He, his disciples go into town. He's sitting by himself. And he looks up. He sees it's just about noon as the sun's right over him. And he looks out and he sees a woman coming towards him. And I picture, we don't know this, but I picture Jesus smiling and thinking to himself, ah, perfect timing. Right on time. A couple of things about this scene here that's really interesting Two things. Number one, uh, noon was not the hour people uh, drew water from the well. Uh, They either drew early in the morning or late in the evening to avoid the heat of the day. Uh, Going at noon would be like 2 or 3 o'clock here where it's just the most brutal time outside with the sun beating down on you. It's the hottest part of the day at noon 
and the well is very deep. And so it's hard work to draw up the water and with the sun beating down on you, it, it's a miserable time. So people want early in the morning or late in the evening. The other thing that's interesting is that generally it was women who would go to the well and it was the women's social time. They would go out together, take some time away from the family, go out and, and kind of like at the office, stand around the water cooler and, and gossip, talk about things uh, because only one person could draw water at a time. And so as the one lady is drawing water, everyone else just kind of sits and talks. It's a social thing. This woman is coming out at noon and she's coming by herself. Scripture doesn't say, but what's a logical conclusion? She's a social outcast. She's, a try- she's trying to avoid people because people are probably trying to avoid her. And Jesus says to her, can you give me a drink? And she... Uh, embraces and, and actually talks about these social and gender tensions. She says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Uh, she brings it up. This isn't normal. How can you be asking me for a drink? Here's what Jesus says. He answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She didn't get it, did she? Jesus is talking spiritual. You have a spiritual thirst. I'm going to give you living water so that you're never thirsty again. And the woman's taking it physically. She says, of course I want this water. One, I don't want to get thirsty again. Two, I don't want to have to keep coming out to this well to draw water uh, in the heat of the day so so I don't have to avoid people. Give me this water so I can just stay in my house and not worry about any, anybody. And here's how Jesus responds. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Seems like it's a little out of left field, doesn't it? Jesus is talking about giving her living water, uh, satisfying her, her thirst, and he says, all right, first go call your husband. But what did Jesus just do? He led her to realize that she wants this water. She has a need. And Jesus says, before I give you the living water, let's talk about how you're quenching that thirst. Let's talk about how you are quenching your thirst for what? For this woman, she was probably thirsting for love, acceptance, lasting happiness. One thing's for sure is that she knew that she wasn't okay. She wasn't complete. 
Because she longed for something. She thirsted for something. Just like all of us. Because that's what sin does. Sin it, it ruins us. Sin breaks us. And we realize we're not complete. And so we long for things. For this woman, she thirsted for love, acceptance, maybe lasting happiness. And her thirst has turned her to men. Looking for uh, her thirst quenched from love from men, acceptance from men, sex from men, finding love in the arms of a man and lasting happiness in them. But what happened? She found it there for a little bit. She found that love and acceptance and happiness for a little bit. It was quenched. But soon that guy was no longer uh, satisfying her thirst. And so she divorced him and went to another husband because he was quenching her thirst, only to find out that that water gave out too. And so she went to the next guy. And now here she stands before Jesus, divorced five times, and she's living with a guy who's not even her husband. And Jesus tells her, Jesus tells her, here's what you're doing. And the thing is for this woman, at the time, in the moment, those decisions made sense. Drinking from that well made sense because it was uh, satisfying her thirst. But now here she stands. Her life is a broken mess. And it's all her fault. Her actions led to this. Now she lives with shame. As she goes out to, to, the, to the well and she hears the conversation stop because she knows they're talking about her. She lives with shame as people give her the cold shoulder as they won't make eye contact with her. She lives with shame because if this is how people view her, how does a holy and perfect God view her? Probably the same. And she deserves it because of her actions. She's hurting. She's filled with shame. And, and, and the worst part is, because she wants love, acceptance, uh, and, and happiness, and she's being uh, shunned sh- socially, it drives her deeper into the well of men, only to be filled with more and more shame. And Jesus knows this. And He's not going to pretend like everything's okay uh, when everything is not okay. And so He says, we need to address this issue. You have had five husbands, and you're living with the sixth. This is how you're trying to satisfy your thirst. And he tells her hard truth. And that's your first point this morning. We need to be confronted on what well we are drinking from. There probably should be quotes around that well. What well we are drinking from. We are just like this woman. We are all sinful. We are born into this world sinners. And that means that our lives aren't complete. They're broken because of sin. And so we all long for something. Because we realize that we aren't satisfied. We're not perfect. And so we long for something. And if Jesus were standing here today... What hard truth would he say to us? What well would he say we are drinking from? 
Maybe he would say something like this. Your thirst for happiness, your thirst for significance, has led you to drink from the well of money and career success. And you're drinking from that well, but the thing is, it's not satisfying your thirst. And so you're continuing to go out and drink and drink and drink. You're continuing to go back to that well, but what you don't realize is that because you're drinking from this well so much, you've neglected me. And you're neglecting your family just to satisfy your thirst. Maybe he says, maybe he would say, your thirst for happiness has led you to material possessions and experiences. And that's the only time you find happiness. And so you're drinking from this well, but what you don't realize is that as you're drinking from this well, you're going farther and farther into debt. And then you get up and you leave this well and you look at your financial uh, situation and it's depressing. And so you want to be happy. And so what do you do? You go back to the well again only to get more and more in debt. And your thirst continues. Your thirst for love and acceptance has led you into the fleeting arms of pornography. But what you don't realize is that as you drink deeper from that well, you get up and you leave and you're filled with shame as you've betrayed trust. And what you don't realize is that the more you drink from that well, uh, the less chance you have at intimacy in your marriage, at intimacy with God. Your insecurities have led you to want, uh, to want people's love and approval and has driven you to drink from the well of always needing to be right. And so you drink from that well and you drink from that well of always being right. But what happens is it pushes people away and you're not getting their love and approval so you drink more from the well and it's pushing people away and it's even pushing God away. You thirst for people's love and approval and so you go to the well of always pleasing others. You please this person. You drink from the well of pleasing that person. You drink from this well. But pretty soon you're making decisions that aren't, you don't even recognize yourself anymore because you're doing these things. And as you're pleasing all these other people and you're drinking from this well, you have no longer pleased God. The thing is, is in the moment... All of these wells seem to be the right decision, right? In the moment, we're just like the woman and we think this is the right well to be drinking from because it satisfies my thirst here and now and yet it's not lasting. And maybe we sit here today with our lives broken because of decisions that we made and all we have left is like her, our shame. Maybe we're not to that point yet. Maybe we're currently drinking from a well, and if we continue to drink from one of those wells, we will end up in a place with our lives broken and our families broken because we're drinking from the wrong well. And Jesus loves you too much to not confront you on it. He loves me too much to not confront me on it. Through His Word, through friends, through pastors and teachers, He says, 
you're drinking from the wrong well. How does this woman respond? Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Your second point today, instead of a confession, Jesus gets a deflection. Instead of a confession, Jesus gets a deflection. Makes sense, doesn't it? This woman came out to the well at noon for the very purpose of avoiding people, and here is this Jewish person who now just called her out on her shameful acts. She didn't want the judgmental. Or she didn't want the judgmentalism. She didn't want guilt. She didn't want to bring up her shame. All she wanted was water, and so she avoided people. And here, this guy is calling her out on it. And so, what she do? She deflects. I can see you're a prophet. Let's talk about worship. And a, a, a hot topic of the day. You say we need to worship in Jerusalem. Our ancestors worship here. What's the right one? Makes sense, doesn't it? We react the same way when somebody finds out about our shameful actions. We deflect. Let's talk about something else. We love talking about ourselves until it has to do with our shameful mistakes and then it's let's talk about anything else let's deflect and talk about something else because the absolute worst thing we think is that somebody can find out about our shameful actions because if you want to guarantee you losing love respect acceptance let somebody find out how shameful uh, how much shameful things you've done in your past that's a lock for losing love and acceptance And we've even brought that into our relationship with God. The thing is, we know that God knows everything. We know that He sees us. He knows that He uh, He can. We know He can read our hearts. And yet, we think if we deflect and not talk about those shameful things, we can convince Him and ourselves that we're actually pretty good people. And so, let's talk about anything else but us. And that's what this woman does. But understand this. The worst thing that we can do, the worst thing that can happen, is not that somebody finds out about our shameful actions. Not that God finds out about our shameful actions. It's that we deflect our shameful actions and we don't talk about it with Jesus and we miss out on His grace. Because when we deflect, that's what happens. That's what this woman tried to do. But Jesus gets her back on track. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. How big of a smile do you think Jesus had on his face when he said that to her? I, the one who's speaking to you, I am he. 
the Messiah. The incredible part? This is the only time in Scripture where Jesus voluntarily and so candidly tells somebody that He's the Messiah. Other times, people say, hey, you're the Messiah, and He doesn't deny it. Uh, other times, people say, like when He's before Pilate, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, you have said so. But here he voluntarily and candidly says, I am the Messiah. And who's he say it to? A woman who's made a mess of her life by divorcing five of her husbands and living with another guy who's not her husband. Someone who is filled with shame. Someone that people shun. Someone that people avoid. And she avoids all people because she's so filled with shame that nobody could love her or accept her. And if that's how people felt about her, how must God feel about her? If, if God, in her mind, came and sat by her, he, he would have to run away. And yet, here the Messiah sits. And you could make the argument that he didn't run away, but instead he ran to her. He had a divine appointment to meet with her that day. Why? To give her the living water that the Messiah gives. To give her the living water of grace. To let her know that God loves her eternally. That He sent Jesus, the Messiah, into the world to die for all of her sins. That she is accepted eternally by God, not because of anything she's done, not because of anything she hasn't done, but because of what the Messiah, Jesus, has done. And that is lived perfectly. He was there to tell her that she has lasting happiness knowing that heaven is hers and that her shame is taken away. It doesn't matter what people think of her because the God of this world thinks she is perfect in His sight because Jesus lived and died for her sins. Grace. That is grace. There's nothing she did to deserve it. There's nothing she did to earn it. And yet there Jesus was saying, I'm offering it to you. And so your third point today. Grace is greater than your shame. We've all been in the place that this woman has been. There are times in our lives that we have made a mess of our lives. There are things that we've done in our past that have caused us so much shame, so much guilt, that we, we, we know that God must think very poorly of us. And Jesus knows the shame that we carry. He knows the guilt that we carry. And He has had a divine appointment with you. At some point in your life, He's had a divine appointment with you where He tracked you down. He tracked you down so that you know that you are eternally loved. He tracked you down so that He could tell you that you are eternally accepted by God, not because of what you've done, not because of what you haven't done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. The fact that He lived for you and He died so that all of your sins are forgiven. He tracked you down to give you grace, this living water that satisfies your thirst for love, happiness, and acceptance because that is what you get from the God of this world because of Jesus. It's God's grace, Jesus' grace, that is greater than any of your shame, any of your past regrets, anything at all. So, as we close this out, know, one, that God's grace is greater than your shame. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter what happens in the future, God is greater. God's grace is greater. It's undeserved love. 
And two, if you're drinking from a well that is not Jesus, admit it, confess it, and let Jesus tell you that He loves you, He forgives you, and that you're eternally loved and accepted by Him because of Him. This is grace. May God be with us this week as we grow in that grace of Jesus. Amen.